Welcome back, friends. We're so glad you're with us. Today, we're doing a lesson from the Tao Te Ching that deals with transcending legalism. Legalism, propriety, false charity, cheap acts of goodwill without that inner, deep understanding of our unity as human beings and then our human interactions with the earth, our rootedness in the earth, all of the things that are truly good are going to come from virtue, from what the Tao Te Ching calls de, T-E. We're not always going to use that term in our translations this week because we think that there are some fun plays on words like virtue signaling and virtue shaming, and we want to be able to play with those a little bit. But the main thing is, if we're going to avoid the manipulation of others, we need to be able to think about internalized goodness, truth, and beauty, rather than just the outward show of it, rather than just hypocrisy. Friends, come along. This is a fun one. We're so glad you're with us. Stacey, the world is really different now, <laughs> the way we interact, Yeah. but some of these same themes from ancient China still relate to our times today. You know, I mean, what, what do you see in, in these chapters? We're looking at chapter 18, 38, and 27 from the Tao Te Ching. Yeah, I mean, I guess that there are some real live ways that we have kind of lost what really is actual virtue. Yes. Um, and we have exchanged it for this play, <laughs> this pretend virtue, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, we see it on social media. We see where there's, I, I don't know, like when there's an anniversary and things, right? Like you've got to, you got to post all this stuff, right? <laughs> so that the partner is happy. Um, well, and so other people think that you're happy. Whether right. Whether or not you and your partner have any <laughs> Whichever, Some, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, Valentine's sure. Day is yeah. probably the perfect other example of of this that where you know you have to make sure that you know that you show enough appreciation for your partner or whatever. And if you don't do it right, you know, I mean, so many people are, are you know worried about that holiday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I mean, I know that there was one time where for one of the Valentine's days, we just said that I'll plan it because then that way, <laughs> you know, like I really appreciated it. it. And that that was, was our only good Valentine's day. Less stressful for you. You did what right? you wanted. And we had fun. I still, you know, but I mean, at this point, you know, I think there's a lot of us where we don't, we don't like you and I, we don't really care about going out to dinner or the roses or that kind of thing. Well, we love that, roses that and happens. we love going out to dinner, right. but we don't need to do it on Valentine's day. On the day, day where everybody else is key. all, these yes. <laughs> are all like fighting in line for the same places. I'd much rather celebrate our relationship when less people are celebrating their relationships when we're going to a restaurant. (laughs) But I'm saying there's so much that we do that is sort of the etiquette of, you know, how you do relationships and how you um, interact with people. And we've exchanged niceties for the real thing often. And and it's sad to see uh, that real connection. Now, I think since... COVID and a lot of stuff where there was more um, lockdown situation that people now appreciate a lot more than they used to what human interaction, you know, real one-on-one with a person is. Students begging to be in class. Mm -hmm. That'll 
that'll blow your mind if you're a professor, right? So in the past, <laughs> right. you're like, oh, you get to watch a movie and not come to class this mm-hmm. week, and everyone cheers. Now, even the idea I remember of you know, playing a movie instead of a lecture, mm. that was a treat in the old days. Now it's <laughs> no. like, what? why are you doing yeah, that? I could I do that on that. my own time. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. And I could do it with more comfort and popcorn. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and in many ways, these chapters are what got me excited about the Tao Te Ching in the first place. Because I was reading this stuff alongside of my work on a, on a book of uh, reflection on sexual ethics and mysticism. My book, Sexy, The Quest for Erotic Virtue in Perplexing Times, in many ways is an attempt to understand how to surf the Tao from the perspective of Christian sexual ethics, reframing it not as uh, this sex negativity or this desire to make sure that people aren't having fun, mm-hmm. but rather thinking about what is real romance what is true love and and how do we treat one another right. from the perspective of that kind of commitment and love and the idea that unconditional love underpins Christian ethics. Therefore, the reason we don't easily divorce somebody is because we don't just exchange them for the next newer, richer, more influential model. Which you often will say, Malinson's don't leave people behind. We don't leave people behind. Now... Mountains have left people behind, but um, but when we what we say like that's a value. Well, I, I will say that that has that has been the the probably the key defining moment for us being twenty five years married. Yeah, you know, yeah. is not leaving yes, each other not, behind. Not like in not in like incredible bliss at all times. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But, right. Um, it wasn't like the marriage. You know, it was always just easy street, or you know, no. there was very difficult times and patches that we've had. Some horrific, some better. <laughs> no, but but that's but, but it's the not leaving each yes. other behind. It's that when you know, and and when we made our vows, it wasn't even. It wasn't even because of this piece of paper that we were signing. It's something deeper than that, you know? It's something deeper of a commitment to one another, Um, you know, even in the midst of hardship and things like that, that has kept that going. Um, Anybody that's been married for any length of time would realize that there's a whole lot of sacrifice that goes into, on both, you know, for both partners, that happens in order, you know, to have, I would say, um, a happy marriage, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that deep satisfaction at the end of it. And the students, um, I'm sorry, the students, the kids, um, you know, when, when I was writing the book, I was mainly saying, here's, here's my kind, kind of advice. This is my manifesto. For our children. For romance, for our children. And, and I, I know this, noticed that Augie really took it so seriously that we include in the book how, you know, he was kind of pushing back on me when I said, well, there, you know, there's more fish in the sea. Are you going to lock in so early? You know, are you going to, you know, end up being with the, you know, your high school sweetheart for the rest of your life as, you know, I am, <laughs> right? Um, but he, but he said, you know, didn't you read your own book? I mean, are you, don't believe your own stuff. And, um, you know, what would cause him to leave Sydney behind? He says like, well, only bad reasons in a, in a way, right. like he, you know, um, he's not going to be the person that, that lets go of her. He's not going to be the person that doesn't come through. And there's something very powerful in that. Now, listen, everybody's relationship is going to you know, be unique in its own way. Mm-hmm. But the key here, what we're trying to get at is the way that people manipulate you is through legalism, partisan loyalty, family obligations, obligations that are external to you, that are put upon you. And in many ways, that's why we're saying you need to transcend legalism to be free. Right. So in, in this idea of surfing the Tao, we're not saying that you shouldn't be a good person. 
you should work towards being a better person all the time. Or maybe not work towards it, just let that grow, let that flourish. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that in our society, in politics, and in families, and in religion, it's all these external things. You show up on Sunday, you don't have to follow Jesus, just be here on Sunday. Mm -hmm. You don't actually have to love grandma, just be there for grandma's birthday. You know, you don't actually have to love me, just post something nice about me for our anniversary, and then we'll spend most of our lives doing our own thing, right? So the, it's the external stuff as opposed to the, Internal, the inner, inner part. Right, yeah. that's really there, yeah. That's really, and that this is just behind all these chapters, and they're just foundational to understanding the ethical life within Taoism. So would you mind, Stacey, would you read first chapter 18? Yeah, and it's pretty short. When men lose touch with the Tao... They focus on legalism and charitable giving. This leads to scheming, then great hypocrisy ensues. Genuine love breaks down in a family when relatives start to insist on family obligations. And the nation falls into chaos when people insist on partisan loyalty. All right, let's look at a few of these uh, in turn. The first is legalism is an old way in China of dealing with a large population and keeping everybody from hurting each other. Right. You have the rules. Yep. Everybody needs to follow the rules. Great. Mm -hmm. Legislation and so forth. Now, I don't know if we've talked about this on this show so far, but let me just go back to it just one more time. That there are some people who think that the reason that the word for law is depicted the way it is in, in Chinese, the character, is because... It uh, depicts this idea of drawing water, and you would think, well, what, what does drawing water have to do with law? And it's the idea that they would write the rules on the water source, on the cauldron where they would sterilize All the community the had to come around for water, and then that's where they would post all of And I want you to think rules. about that. Yeah, friends, like, if you're at a workplace, you know that there's all those rules about harassment that are next to the water cooler which is next to the copy machine, and the uh, executives might still be harassing, mm. you know. But the laws are there, but the rules are there in place. Now, I'm not saying that the rules shouldn't be in place, but relying on a list of rules by the water cooler, that's legalism. Mm-hmm. That is insufficient, and sometimes it can be worse that those laws are sometimes, un- not those laws, but like laws within a culture can be unnecessarily constraining mm-hmm. and yet still fail to accomplish what they were supposed to accomplish. Right. So, and ideally, in a society, you don't need the rules because you're not trying to tell people how to be decent to one another. They right. just are right. decent to one another, right? Yeah, I shouldn't stab people in the eye randomly. No. <laughs> no. Right. But when somebody randomly stabs somebody in the mm-hmm. eye, now we've got to make a rule to say, you know what, in case you were unclear, this is not okay. At the university where we're living now, did you know, Stacey, that the very first handbook only had one rule? Do you know I, what that rule is? I remember that it did, but I don't remember what the rule was. They started Concordia out with no handbook whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was just, don't break the law so we don't have to call the police. Otherwise, just be adults. And I think that is so great. Mm-hmm. There is, like Every college has this big, fat handbook. Mm-hmm. And everybody comes to college, and then there's, there's all the RAs, and they're going to learn all of the, the rules, and then the RAs have their first meeting. And instead of getting to know everybody... Usually, You're just talking about all the rules. Here's the rules, right? You go to camp. Here's the rules, and you know you need the rules. That's how we get along. But but making that be the substance of what 
student life or RAs or camp counselors or professors or whatever right. are about takes away all the fun out of the thing that was, was really there, which was the love. As Martin Luther said, if you have true love, there is no need for law. Right. It's not that we don't need law sometimes because true love is hard to find. Uh, I'm still looking for a heart of gold with uh, our friend uh, Neil Young. But the point, the point is that there is a way in which when we focus on these rules, that's when we know that we're in a culty, ideologically unhealthy kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Right. That- oh, I didn't tell you what there was, though. Oh, yeah, what's the one rule? The parrot. Oh. <laughs> so somebody came along and said, all right, I'm going to have a parrot, and then it was too loud and people couldn't study. So the rules can sometimes be there to just kind of nudge things in a direction that's livable, mm-hmm. but that's not enough to have a healthy relationship with your neighbors and, and like a harmonious society, right? So we're not saying you get rid of all rules. No, right. But, but legalism, kind of focusing on the rules or legislating well, morality. Or, so it says no parrots, so that maybe I'm going to get like a homing pigeon, right? Yep. So, like, <laughs> like, all of a sudden you've got... This. Although to be fair, the pigeons, pigeons, they coo, you know, a little bit like, you know, um, they're not squawking. It ain't no cockatoo. It ain't no uh, cockatiel. It ain't no uh, parakeet. Mm-hmm. But I mean, all those birds. You know, no loud birds, right? I think they even said originally no macaws. Because mm. maybe some people had finches, and finches are okay, but macaws were yeah, saying, interesting. you know, he, he's plagiarizing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Polly wants a plagiarist. Anyway, point is, um, yeah, you, like, then they develop it, and then, of course, now we've got the large handbook, like all the other colleges. Right. And no no uh, knock on my, my friends over in student services. It's just kind of what people expect. Right. right? It's what parents expect, what the bosses expect, and so forth. But when you focus on that, what it does is it gets people to just kind of go through the motions often without really understanding what a true, healthy community right. is. And like you said, when the focus becomes the rules and rather than nurturing these relationships and working together and making the focus be this college community that we all are going to honor each other and you know and come here to learn, right? That it becomes now this, you know, I guess sometimes it could feel like a, a like landmines of rules that you just yeah. have to make sure that you avoid. You just uh, avoid getting fired or <laughs> put in jail or fined, but you're not loving each other. This yeah. is this is where uh, this this comes to this idea of charitable giving. Yeah, so that's the other thing I was thinking about with the charitable charitable giving because you think what's wrong with charity? What's wrong with um, you know giving? You know, but I you know the idea of the the charitable giving it's it's something almost like is if it's being expected of you. And it's also done in a way that, oh, I'm going to give out of my excess to this lower person that might, you know, need, you know, need a handout kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes it's done with an attitude of uh, superiority. Yeah, and, it, and it, it doesn't deal with the fact that they are still in that inferior position. Correct. So it allows them to actually keep their superior position and give them the handouts. You mm-hmm. can have a little bit of this and you need this because you want this and I'm the only one who can give it to you. And if you revolt against me, if you don't listen to me, if you don't obey me, then you don't get those nice things. Yeah. Mm-hmm, right. Well, and I, and, and I also, sometimes it, you know, I've even seen on say next door um, and it, 
sounds in theory like a really nice idea, but you know, I've heard of somebody saying, you know, we have extra in our house. And so for Christmas time, is there a family that you know that, you know, could use, you know, some help with presents and things? And I would like my my children to come to drop off those presents so that they can see, you know, that how we're helping people. Now it's a tricky business. Yeah, because in a weird way, it's like parading the poor people for your rich children mm-hmm. to then, you know, look at and be glad they're not, I guess, in that position, um, you know, feel like they're kind of a good person now for, you know, helping somebody out. I mean, far stronger than just dropping off those presents would be developing that relationship with that family mm-hmm. where, you know, that the kids can actually play together. Far be it from us to say that you shouldn't do something nice for a family at Christmas. And and there's a should. lot of people that appreciate it. I think, Stacey, you're right, though, to say it's the, it's the, it's the theater of it, mm-hmm. right? It's like, here's this big check I'm going to give or I want, you know, look how great I am. I'm going to come and help this other family. And then those kids have to be, you know, ashamed of being the poor kids and my kids can feel great about being the right. rich kids. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, with with respect to the people that you are giving yes. them, you don't you don't want to humiliate them at the same yeah. time that you're trying to help them, right? This is why, I'm, and even yeah. helping is sometimes can be one of those words where I want to help you, where there can be a superiority to it. Yeah. That I'm going to help this person out, um, coming alongside of and and being there with them mm. is a little different than than I'm. Helping. It's them. a lot different. Yeah, it's like that, that mutuality that we're, mm-hmm. you know, in this together and you need help and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But we've got these things that we share together. One of the, one of the reasons that uh, the, the philosopher Slavoj Žižek says that he doesn't like charity is that it allows people to go about their in, injustice. Mm. So you could have a terrible overall policy as a, you know, as a, your coffee company, but then you do these acts of, benevolence, these charitable projects where people can say, oh, look how great it is that we've got laptops for everybody in the school. You're extracting millions and millions and millions of dollars out of a region, say, Mm -hmm. uh, and then giving back a $200,000 grant. It's good that you gave that grant, but sometimes this is used to cover over some of the other negativity. I'll give you one deeper, and that is some cults uh, have often used charity events to point to the fact that they are good for society so they shouldn't be shut down or they shouldn't be limited mm-hmm. right i don't want to say i don't want to say i will i will not say names not yet not today i'm just not feeling that today but there there are various ways in which this happens uh, where and it, and it happens also with like one percenter uh, motorcycle gangs where they'll do a toy drive. Don't mind the fact that we're running meth and beating people up or shooting them at the, you know, at the casino. Mm. We're doing these great things for kids, mm-hmm. so then leave us be. Or don't mind that I am making ungodly amounts of money here as this, this mm-hmm. you know, executive with the golden parachute and all this. Here, I'm going to go to this swanky L.A. event or I'm going to go to this swanky New York City event. Look how much money I can give. Good thing to do, good mm-hmm. thing to do, give the money. But charitable giving is also sometimes associated in this chapter with scheming mm-hmm. and great hypocrisy, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. I'll give you one more. It's, you know, well, I, we know that everybody's mad at us for the oil spills, so we'll put in, like, you know, a habitat for foxes. Well, there will be some environmentalists that are so pleased 
and rightly so, that they've been able to get a grant to save these foxes, Mm -hmm. that they will not be as antagonistic against that oil company for what they're doing in the ocean or fracking or in in the Arctic Circle or something like that. Well, and you mentioned with the scheming part, and that's kind of what I was talking about with the the bird story at Concordia, but the idea that sometimes rules or, you know, when you do the legalism, it then causes people to look for the loopholes and that would be the scheming part and that I see often, right? And yeah. and so that they follow the letter of the law right. without even following what the the point of the law might be. Um and then that's the hypocrisy as well. Right? And then what about this next part where this then genuine is like also love, family. Yeah, yep. genuine love breaking down in a family. Um and that the relatives start uh, to insist on family obligations. It's kind of that well, it's my birthday, so everybody, you know, or Mother's Day or whatever, so that, every, you know, all my kids have to come check in, you know, with me and hang out with me because it's, it's you know, Mother's Day. Um, when that comes out of real love and people wanting to be around you, it, it's fun. When it becomes an obligation that everybody is fulfilling, I think it's pretty obvious when people are kind of, you know, looking at when can they make their their run from the the family <laughs> obligation right when ha, have they put in their time long enough and when can i um you know potentially bow out of um you know the whole gathering or do i have an excuse enough to not show up in general that you know that the relative won't be upset if i don't show up kind of thing yeah. but i any time that those events are out of obligation I mean, they're a chore for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's no, I've not had birthdays. fun. I've had birthdays where I'm like, man, this is like this is a stress for me to try to have. Mm-hmm. You know, because we have the New Year's New Year's Eve birthday. Sometimes it's been nice to go, you know, maybe see a Gina Varro show or something in Palm Desert or something instead of having to With do somebody it. else do the entertainment, right? <laughs> yeah. And then it gets worse. So there's the family. Yeah. So it could be in society, we use rules to keep people in line, but we don't actually become good people. Then there's a breakdown in family love, but we still show up to all the events because it's obligatory and Mm -hmm. we actually start to resent each other more. And then this is the punchline for this chapter. The nation falls into chaos and people insist on partisan loyalty, symbolic patriotism. Right. I just, when there's a sickness in the, in the society, Mm-hmm. is, well, that's why Christians died in the early church, mm-hmm. right? They're going like, well, well, we'll, we'll be good citizens, but we're not going to sacrifice to the image of Caesar. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to sacrifice to the gods of Rome. And nobody cared what was in their heart. They wanted them to make that symbolic gesture and yeah. they refused to. And that's what was, was what got them thrown to the lions. Well, and I, and you know, you think about nowadays. I mean, we have so much gone into partisan loyalty, so much so that you can't have a real conversation hardly at all about politics on, e- especially with somebody you disagree with. But all of it, like, really, has kind of become. Um, a taboo, <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, you don't talk about religion and politics, but now like you almost really can't sometimes, especially when it's somebody on the opposite side, we've stopped mm-hmm. listening to each other mm-hmm. and we start literally just feeling that loyalty to whatever side you've picked. And, and that's where, I mean, it, even more chaos has happened because again, we've stopped 
listening? What is one side over the other? What are they both saying? There's messages. There's there's gripes that people have, but we've stopped listening. Right. So we we don't want to stay neutral, but we want to stay dispassionate for for a while as we listen to people because there are real hurts on both sides of any issue. Mm-hmm. There there is a perspective that we need to understand, and it doesn't do us any good not to understand that thing, mm-hmm. you know. But the, the idea is, how can we do things naturally without forcing things? How can we let the natural character of somebody or something do the work of finding balance instead of having these external things trying to rein us in? And that takes us to chapter 27. Chapter 27 is an interesting one to really reinforce what we've been talking about, Stacy, because it's, it starts out with these um, kind of examples of the way people are able to engage the world without, um, without using force, mm-hmm. without using constraint or violence. Would you read the first stanza of chapters 27? Sure. Good travelers don't tear up the landscape. Good speakers let every word be authentic, kind, and true. Good money managers aren't mere bean counters. Good woodworkers can craft quality furniture without using nails or screws. Good movers can pack a truck without having to use rope to secure cargo in transit. All right, so pause there. These are all these practical examples, and some of these are not in the original. Mm-hmm. That is, that the way that they might have described it would have had something to do with a gate. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about packing. I'm trying to do, however, the same lifting. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to communicate the same thing as the original. When you came up with the idea that good woodworkers can craft quality furniture without using nails or screws, right? Mm-hmm. The probably the best, easiest application of that in in real life. I'm I'm kind of reminded of since I've been, you know, I've been able to witness some of your. Uh, Zoom classes and, and mm-hmm. things, but I'm, I'm thinking of the the professor that ends up needing to um, call roll, right? <laughs> Make sure everybody's there. Versus a professor that is so interesting that people want to come that you don't even really have to do a real roll call because they'll all show up. So you don't have to require yeah. attendance. I call on people to, to, to get to know them and to, to make sure that they're able to engage. Mm-hmm. But that idea that, that the threat or the fear of punishment or hope of reward is going to keep them in class is counterproductive very often. And how many, yeah. you know, like, how many absences am I allowed to have? How many, yeah. you know, like, well, it's not about that. Like, yeah. You're going to lose out if you don't come to class. You're not going to do well. And I do take role for the sake of government agencies. Right. So just in case everybody's listening, listen you know, I'll... I'll 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 be trying to take note of when somebody needs to be, uh, you know, checked in on and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But but for me, it's like I don't get insulted if you don't come. And if I had my way, I'd say you don't need to take you don't need to come to class. Mm-hmm. If you think you can do this without coming to class, then I guess so be it. But um, are you here to learn or not? Right. Right. So I'm asking the like the deeper question, and and I think though that all of these examples reflect the best of people who do their work with excellence. Right. You know, in, in old, like... It's people that know, know their craft and they do it well. And so there, it's, there are life examples whenever we see somebody that is doing their craft and there's, 
there's an ease with which they are able to do stuff. You know, like you look at like, I don't know, when you've seen somebody that is an expert mountain climber and they can just go, you know, right up the mountain. And I'm like, they make it look so easy. And I've been there and my legs all shiver, my hands all, you know, like, especially if I'm free climbing at all, you know? Um, and, and when you see somebody that is doing a really good job at their craft, they just make it so easy. But then you could tell that they're also doing it the most Tao way. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like good travelers, they don't tear up the landscape. So, obviously, I mean, if, if their whole point is being out in nature, you want it to be as natural as what it's, you yeah. know, what the appeal of it is to be in nature, not to be where somebody else was yesterday <laughs> leaving their trash. Right? And, but we all know that when we're, we're free camping and all of a sudden somebody came through, there's 82 cigarette butts, a mm-hmm. couple broken glasses, you yeah. know, a, a, broken bottles they ripped through the the foliage with their dirt bike or their mm-hmm. their snowmobile or something and and uh it's horrifying and that can be over the long yeah, yeah. so that's literal but then also you know there's the way in which we relate to people do we just tromp you know yeah. trample all over people do americans we... <laughs> in a tokyo subway subway you know oh <laughs> man you know i i remember us we were Actually, in uh, Hei on Wai, we were in Wales, and there was somebody that was at, we, were, we went to a tavern to get some lunch, right? And, mm-hmm. and they were an American, and they were coming in. It was an American couple you're talking about. Yes, and the guy, I could just hear him from, we were in the other room, but I heard him at the bar saying, you know, do you, do you serve Zinfandel? <laughs> he and, wanted white Zinfandel. Yeah. Yes, and they like, they didn't, and he was just like, "This is this is not a real." Yeah, like bar. we have like, we have beer, <laughs> beer. Then they had some whiskeys. Don't don't put them down, you know. And I'm sure they even had some reds or whatever, but they didn't have. But white Zinfandel. But this then he was well. He had to also be upset because his 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 wife was upset, and so now he had to blast through, you know, three levels of people. Where's your manager? And it was just like four guys that and were working I, there, and I don't know if they even. I thought was just sitting there terms. thinking in my head, like I. This is where I'm like sad to be an American <laughs> in that sense because it's a few of those moments these days. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, like like when we got out of the toke when we were in France and and we had just gotten out of the um, uh, the in, environmental treaties, and I just and people said, "Oh, you're from America," and then they just kind of looked down and they were they weren't mad at us, but it was just they were so disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like your dad's not mad; he's just disappointed. Like, how'd you let this happen? How'd you let this happen to right. all of us? Because you're so powerful. But we didn't break any rules. We got out of it, you know, we got out of the treaty in a legal way or whatever. And and so, but the concern was, you know, you Americans are just ripping up the landscape. Yeah. Now, the alternative is, what's the movie we watched? Is a documentary, Stacey, about an uh, invertebrate. Oh, yes. My uh, octopus teacher. Yes, my octopus teacher. In fact, I was even thinking... I'll warn you all if you do watch it that it there it is it can be sad there might people people might get emotional right yeah so but it's put, worth it put that little caveat in there uh, but there is definitely a sense where under like a lot of the teachings of the Tao Te Ching make sense through that movie and I'm like oh okay this makes sense of even um, you know we mentioned uh, sidewalk 
chalk drawings, but straw dogs is what the um, actual little, the words that are used in the Tao Te Ching. And, and I understand... Are when it's talking about the heavens, essentially the Tao doesn't really doesn't really care that we we have these short lives and we and we get washed away and we die. Right. And and it it's almost like life happens. It's not about um even it's known that our time here on on earth is limited and it's going to involve certain interactions and things like that and so you can't always get caught up um as an observer in the situation in each specific moment. So he had a, he was filming this octopus and he had a very hands-off approach not trying to interfere with nature. And sometimes He had a very close relationship with this octopus though. So it wasn't yes, like yes, it yes. wasn't hard for him. But a hands-off approach when it yeah. came to its predator and Right, like if sharks know, were coming by. Right, and and he just knew that he kind of had to let everything like let nature be. Yes. As hard as it might, you know, possibly be for him to even stand by and and look right. I mean, and, and it was a, a loving awareness that he was there with. So right. it wasn't like just like it wasn't any kind of you know coldness or lack of care or. Stacy's not empathy. spoiling it here. She's mm-hmm. just saying that there are several times in the documentary where the the filmmaker realizes that his little friend, this octopus, you know, might be in some danger or mm-hmm. needs some food, and he can't really interfere because that usually kind of screws things up worse. Right. But you do need to understand, this octopus comes and gives him like a little hug, like comes onto mm-hmm. his chest or like reaches yeah. out with a little tentacle. They have like a they, real relationship. It's, and, and it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing where, you know, where we're told all the time, if you go to a duck pond, don't feed the ducks right. or don't feed the fish when you see them sometimes in a pond. Let them be natural. When we interfere, we often throw off the whole balance and, you know, overfeed a certain population and cause all sorts right. of other imbalances and problems, right? This so, is the problem of the West. We try to tinker with stuff. We mm-hmm. put in invasive species to fix the other invasive species, whatever we do. It's always tearing up the landscape. But, but also, the way that he was able to see what was the real behavior patterns mm-hmm. of this octopus was by being natural. He didn't go in with a wetsuit. He didn't go in with the bubble tank, with the with the uh, the compressed air. Right. And this allowed him, I think, to get much closer to the real habitat that he was investigating. And he went deep into it. So in many ways, the people, not in many ways, almost every time, somebody who is really good at understanding this natural world, doing photography of, of wildlife, has to get get into that world if you're going to be an anthropologist you've got to get to know the people that you're that you're trying to understand well, and if you're ever going to see it and it's in their natural habitat you almost have to just become the that fly on the wall or a, yeah. a, a presence is not a presence otherwise you right. interfere with it right so there's there's that part otherwise you're part of the story right mm-hmm so there's this other part too that it says good speakers let every word be authentic, kind and true. And there was there was a way in which I think in the original translation it's almost more of like not being false or like there's like a, a more of the don't be the negative, right? Yeah. And we you know we've we've heard that of course, don't gossip, right. don't lie, don't, you know, don't the, be off. Right? Right. And so yes, that is that that is what also it's getting at. But 
we chose to use be authentic, kind, and true because that is, if, if that covers all of the false parts, right? All of the lies, all mm-hmm. of the, the made up parts too. As yeah. well as, yeah, would you explain a little bit more about even how we sort of came up with that? Yeah, well, at a, at a practical level, if you're nervous about public speaking, all you've got to figure out is, do you believe what you're about to say? <laughs> yeah. You know, do you really believe it? And is it genuine? Is it from your heart? Then just start talking. Mm-hmm. Because you don't need to worry about if you look like a good speaker. Mm-hmm. You want to deliver the good content. So if every word is authentic, kind, and true, you'll sound like you're amazing, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're not afraid, if you're not hedging, um, you, will not, you will not hesitate as much as if you, know, if you really understand and mean what you say. You won't be hedging as much. You won't be qualifying as much. Right. If you believe it and you're bold about it, you're going to be a better speaker. And it's best not to just try to do all the things that a, you know, a public speaking professor is going to tell you to mm-hmm. do. Those are all good things, but if you don't have it in your heart, if you don't believe what you're about to say, all of the good public speaking tips are mm-hmm. going to be useless. And if you do believe in something from your heart, even if you're not really good at articulation and, and mm-hmm. pronunciation or whatever, people will pick up on that authenticity. I see a huge example, um, I know we've mentioned her before, but with Brene Brown, mm-hmm. that her whole stuff has come from her research that she's just poured over all Mm -hmm. of this research that she has. So when she's talking, she's basically just explaining what is human behavior from how people have answered her questions, right? Or or interviews that she's had, or even just like, you know, watching human behavior. And so when she's saying that, you know, even about being vulnerable and how much that matters to people, vulnerable there is, is again, it's, it's that authentic, um, and trueness mm-hmm. that too often we don't use. We're selling something. We're hiding something, you know, or maybe we don't fully believe in, in the product or whatever it is. Right. And Why can't I sell this thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But then there's other things you sell easily, stuff that you love, stuff that you can't shut up about because it's making you so happy. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, re- <laughs> a, go- a good product it doesn't really need an incentive that no. you're going to go and tell 10, 15 people how much yep. you love something. If you do love it. <laughs> and you probably won't stutter as much. You probably won't um as much, you know, in mm-hmm. the in, in the um, articulation of it. But not because, you know, you're necessarily overcoming your shyness. But it's because you so believe in this thing that there's nothing they can do. Right. To put you down. Like, you're 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 devoted to it. And then... And then we get to this other piece here, Stacy, in chapter 27, about good money managers not being bean counters. Mm-hmm. We had a hard time with this one because we were thinking, should we say mathematicians or accountants? But this idea of bean counting, I think, really finally settled in with us, you know, that, mm-hmm. that there's this way in which people who think they're really savvy at business are always trying to make sure no one screws them out of a 20 cents. Mm. But the people who are really good at business realize that sometimes just being generous with people on, you know, whether your employees are going to use a stamp or whether or not you're going to nickel and dime somebody for an extra catch up um, can be counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Being super stingy ends up sometimes being a bad career move. There are CFOs who think that their only job is to say no to investment within the company, mm. and it ends up becoming a death spiral for that company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and 
If all you ever care about is, yeah, is that bottom line, the the numbers, then what about, you know, the, the ethics of everything else that you're doing? And, you know, what does that tell about your product or your company? You know, when you don't care about other people, that you're just trying to get this as cheap as possible. You know, it depends on, you know, again, what what is it that, you know, you are, what are you offering? <laughs> yeah. When you just care, um, you know, about those numbers too, the other possibility is that it's all transactions, right? And mm-hmm. it's all about why I did this for you. And, you know, when you look at relationships in general, with the bean counting, when it just becomes about the bottom line, the numbers, it that's only telling a, a, a portion of the story. But what about, you know, what how did you get those numbers and were you taking advantage of people? Will Will that become known and you know and you lose business because of that right like do you what what does it say about even the um the values of your company you know when all that matters is how much money how much profit was made and and not the quality of even the the item you know there's the product some, or the people or anybody yeah right it's kind of like and 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 you think well ha. I'm smarter than everybody because I was able to to ex- squeeze as much profit out of everybody and I uh, you know increase revenue and I know that some employees were sad long range there starts to develop a negative you know sense of your company mm-hmm. and people eventually don't want to spend money on your items on your products mm-hmm. for instance um you know in 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 your work with with um alumni relations if somebody felt like their experience with college was transactional. Mm. They do not want to donate more money later. Right. But if there was something fundamentally transformative mm-hmm. that at least made them feel like there were people that cared about them and their learning, they're much more likely to want to come back and give. So it's it's this kind of weird thing that the Tao Te Ching points to that the people who think they're really good at business because they're stingy and bean county and they don't let anybody get away with anything, mm-hmm. they end up doing not so well. Right. I mean, think about some of the uh, other companies, for instance, that, you know, at least for a while have done well by taking, uh, taking returns pretty generously. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Costco is an example. People have goodwill towards Costco, mm-hmm. and they're willing to go spend more money at Costco because they know that they can come back and have an easy exchange. Right. When they need to return an item, it didn't work for them, that Costco will very much have a, a general return policy. Um, I mean, a generous return mm-hmm. policy. And you think that that's, oh, you sucker, you're an idiot, but actually it works. It seems to work out pretty well for mm-hmm. them. People like working for Costco. People tend, tend to like the company. They have a positive image about it. Mm-hmm. Well, now, and, and we were talking with a business person not that long ago that said with COVID, it sort of changed the way he had to do business. And sometimes there's some people that owe him a lot of money, mm-hmm. but it didn't do him much good to say, oh, I'm never going to give you any more of this product because you you owe me a whole lot of money. No, he found a, another another system of how can they stay in business? How can he get paid? And And, and both can be mutually beneficial, but it certainly wasn't a uh, a bean counting uh, way of doing business that kept both of them in business together. Stacy's talking about a guy we know that is one of the most powerful importer exporter people, and and he's probably had something to do with something you ate <laughs> <laughs> or used this year. 
um, especially if you live in the Pacific uh, Southwest. But he's around the world. And it's a great example that you brought him up, Stacey, because sometimes like that, that wannabe business guy, that the thinks he's all macho and thinks he likes to, to push people down, mm-hmm. it, it, he doesn't get it. Like right. our friend is not being a pushover. He's, he's doing good business. Right. Right. In that, in that if he crushes somebody or humiliates somebody, he's not going to get their contracts for the next year. It is true that they weren't able to pay him back for everything that happened during COVID, but he found a way to continue to get the, the revenue that's coming. And now he's making more money than he did yeah, before. Right. So friends, this is not a show about how to get rich. This is a show about how to outfox bad guys. Okay. But ironically f- for these bad guys, if they would just stop being bad guys, I think they could often do better than they realize mm. with a different tack, mm-hmm. with a different approach. But it doesn't even matter whether we're successful or fail at this attempt to help people. The sage's job shifts in this chapter from just doing good work to saving people. Mm. Yeah, The sage is a savior of all people. Would you read so that so second? S- similarly, the sage is a savior of all people and discounts no one. She's not content with heaven so long as anyone remains in a living hell. This is what it means to find enlightenment. Now, I think the connection is you don't try to hold everything into your car with rope. You, you use natural forces. You don't try to force people to come to your family event. Mm-hmm. You let love do that thing. Mm-hmm. You let love be the glue, not obligation, not Correct. scorn, not anger, not shame. You didn't come to grandma's birthday. We shame you. We scorn you. Right. Okay. That's a pretty quick way to get anybody in a family not to come to grandma's birthday right. anymore. But by having that love, that love then keeps people in. Just like packing the the truck properly will keep all of the 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 moving items in. And the sage saves people. The sage does not give up on people. The sage is not content to just let the world go to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm. That's a bodhisattva. The bodhisattva is someone who becomes awakened and realizes that they can escape, but they come back to serve people who are still lost, still deluded. Yeah, and I think there's that, yeah, there's that hope that still remains that there is a nugget <laughs> somewhere in, in, in all of us that is uh, eventually redeemable. <laughs> and, and the sage is le- at least is not going to give up on that hope with anybody that they interact with because you never know. <laughs> right. You never know what difference you can have on a person and how much um, they can you know, be turned around. And the, you know, sometimes even like the darkest of people that are able to be turned around and, and see the light, they see the aha moment and, mm-hmm. and are able to think differently is one of your greatest allies, mm-hmm. by the way. It's kind of like Anakin Skywalker, right? <laughs> you know, a little yes. bit like you get, although I never trusted Anakin from the start and probably, <laughs> you know, if he had any more opportunity, Darth Vader would probably be screwing around later on. But yeah, interesting side note, Stacey, as we're talking, when we were talking about the good travelers don't tear up the landscape, one of the illustrations of this is the uh, overuse of generators amongst the RV crowd. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to like zen this thing out. We got our, you know, uh, our uh, solar and it's nice and quiet and we're out there and it's mm-hmm. peaceful. But when, when you get everybody just, you know, insisting on all of their accoutrement, all mm-hmm. of the electronics that are inside, right? So I, I just want to point out, 
we are next to an RV in our this beach parking. We're next to an RV, and there was a whole bunch of kids that crawled into this big old RV, and they're probably watching TV and playing video games, listening to music. The beach is down the road. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they're supposed to be socially distanced, and I'm not going to entertain that question. But I will say that I bet those kids would have a lot more fun out in the open air down by the water. Mm-hmm. But what's happening right now is there's this uh, this engine running. Right, right. To bring them all of, <laughs> bring them. All of the, um, what they brought, had... What they had, the luxuries they had at home to bring them all here on the road with them. I'm not contemptuous, but I'm a little disappointed. (laughs) But maybe. Because it's not that hot out. Mm, I know. Maybe so, it's a dialysis machine and grandma's getting kept alive. Know. I should stop. You never know. I should stop the. And, and you and know then, what? And I'm, this is not a recording studio, so I shouldn't complain. <laughs> it's like <laughs> if they want to make noise, do some fireworks. Anyway. But it is it is interesting. You know, what do we think is necessary to bring with us, you know, um, yeah. you know, at certain places at certain times? And, and we do have uh, so many comforts that often people can bring with them. And, and, it is interesting when we, we've traveled all around the country uh, and seeing sometimes some of these huge rigs that, I mean, you might as well have, you can bring, I mean, sometimes it's even nicer than people's houses, you know? Nicer than a lot of houses I've been in, yes. You can bring your air conditioning mm-hmm. and everything else with you. That said, if that's the best flow for you, go for it, right? If it's, if it's between a four-bedroom house that, you know, is now empty because your kids have moved out, Go ahead and retire to a uh, you know two hundred three hundred thousand dollar RV. And I'd still rather see with all the conveniences coming down by the beach and and even just watching the beach than than to stay at home right yeah. and, and, and and not see that people are biking or the, you know swimming. Or, the real obscenity isn't that people are using their generators. To be fair, mm-hmm. it's that that generator is using just a fraction of the petroleum that would have been used uh, were it for. Um, you know, f- for what's going on to heat their house mm-hmm. or cool their house mm-hmm. yeah, an hour in there. Yeah. So, you know, so it, it, it you know, it's kind of like sometimes people get mad at us, like, you got a Ford F-350, what are you complaining about? Yeah, well, my gas mileage is pretty good when I stay put for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I commute zero miles, you know, when I commute two feet. Um, and this is not like a, this is not a bragging con- conversation here. This is not about like putting people down. It's to say, though, that, that there is this world out there where people are putting all their energy into things that are kind of counterproductive to their to their joy. Right? Be, like if they could be. just rethink this, mm-hmm. they're not going to well, have this. And a real life example for us often is is that it's hard for me to get out the door. I try to think of every scenario of where you know that there's that piece of me that wants to be prepared for all you know all right. potential all happenings, all eventualities. And, 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 potential crises and things like that and so you know i have you know this this bag of stuff that you know probably could you know help you if you ever got you know cut up or something you know but but anyway i will i will be very grateful someday for it takes a little longer for for me to get out the door though um when i when i have to worry about all these things and rather than just kind of you know so some preparedness is good over preparedness can also keep you from enjoying and, and getting on the adventure right now interestingly here this third stanza helps us to not get too high on our horse and to recognize the value of some of these illustrations mm-hmm. that we see in life. Would you read the third stanza of chapter 27? Yeah, the hero is the villain's teacher, while the villain is the material for the hero's art. If you can't grasp the value of both the hero and the villain, 
you will remain bewildered no matter how smart you think you are. This is the delightful secret of life. Yeah. This doesn't mean that we should allow villains to be more villainous. But it is the idea that people who are deluded, people who are confused, people who are operating with what we would see as false values, and people who then put those false false values on us, Mm -hmm. cause us negative experiences. At the same time, those people teach us something. And this is... This is the hard part of the Tao Te Ching, but an important part. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, and also, <laughs> I, I would say that, you know, one of the translations that we often will look at is, say, Derek Lynn's. We definitely differed from Derek Lynn on this chapter, where I, I think he would argue that, you know, the specific examples that we have in the, the, the front end of the good travelers, good money managers, and things like that, that he would say, no, it's more, it's more uh, figurative than it is literal, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the real life examples are very helpful in order to sort of paint the picture of, you know, what is it like when somebody's doing their craft, that kind of thing. But Derek Lynn also points out for this section saying, you know, why is it that we always assume we're the good guys? Yeah. You know, there is a tendency sometimes to sort of think, well, (laughs) I'm on the right path and, you know, and other people aren't. And I think sometimes maybe we are on target. Other times we're off. Right. And so sometimes we're, the teacher sometimes were the villain. It 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 right. It's fluid, <laughs> but we can learn from it. Absolutely, yeah. And to think that there is sort of a section that almost should be ignored. I think that when we know that we have done something wrong in life and we want to push it under the rug and not even admit it to ourselves, say we're actually doing a, a huge injustice for us to be able to overcome and get past it and, and not be that person anymore, you know? Not, <laughs> there is that quote that we recently heard from the Beastie Boys. Adam Yelk. Yeah, and he, what did he, he, what say? he say? He said, I'd, so, well, he was... He said, I'd rather be a hypocr- hypocrite. He said, I'd rather be a hypocrite than to... Be the same person for the rest of my life. Yeah, or yeah, for the same, yes. He died, he died in... Oh, I don't know, was 11? It was in the he, he, He's relatively recently died from cancer and was the beastie boy who was a buju or a jubu uh, par excellence, which is kind of in the same Zen mode as um, Leonard Cohen, a person who is both Jewish and still, you know, will enjoy some of those ceremonies and family holidays mm-hmm. and, and that tradition and also Buddhist meditation and thought, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of Buddhism plus Judaism. And he wrote at some point, I don't know if it was in his, his song Bodhisattva Vow, but there was a line where he says, you know, to, to the women, um, I want to offer my love and respect to the end. And people said, how dare he say that? He's the guy who did that song called uh, I Want to Fight for My Right to Party right. or Girls mm-hmm. to Do the Laundry, Girls to Do the Dishes. Girls. So he was, there was that, um, there was that early 80s, mid 80s, mm-hmm. and actually extended um, in hip hop world uh, of misogyny, of right. sexism. And so he apologized, but people were mad at him. They're saying, well, you can't do this, you hypocrite. You're, you're, the, you're the perpetrator. You're the problem. And he said, okay. Well, I'd rather be a hypocrite than yep. to have been that way all my life, right? Yeah. Which is huge. It, that it, is, and that's so powerful. And I think that that's why, again, the sage not giving up on people because 
That was who he was at one time. Now he's not that. If the Beastie Boys, I love the Beastie Boys. If they were in my class in sophomore <laughs> year, I would have failed them just for being punks. I don't like those kids. <laughs> those kids that, you know, fight for your right to party, which, by the way, I didn't realize was, was parody or tongue-in-cheek at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sure, it, it, they became that. You mm-hmm. know, for a while, they became the, the party kids that were playing into that, that negative uh, or that, that problematic way of seeing the world. And and so do we all. We very often are easily lulled into obeying somebody else's narrative. So when we have no space for somebody else sort of seeing the light, we're trying to forever cast them as maybe the villain in, in society. We're not doing them any favors either. And I think that that's sort of, it reminds me of, you know, the lost sheep even of, you know, or sometimes some of the parables with what, you know, Jesus talks about that saying that, you know, no, we're not going to give up. You know, we're yep. we're not going to give up until every single one of, is found. And here at Protect Your Noggin, we're not at all interested in having you reconcile with perpetrators mm-hmm. of cruelty that will continue to victimize you or people that you love. Right. No, we are saying that people who see things in the wrong way can every once in a while come around. Their testimonies are wonderful, and if you hold out that hope, it is amazing what the faith the side of a mustard seed can do to move mountains, to, to move mountains of obstacle that are created by our enemies that could become our friends one day. Well, and, and, and even if your own relationship isn't reconciled, at least if they could stop perpetrating, I mean, that's what we want. Right? Yeah, no, that's definitely true. If, if people can come around and see, you know what? I think, I think I'm, I'm going to take this from a different angle here. And in any case, if all you did was got one-tenth of your enemies into that zone, that's amazing. You know, if you could just, if you had 10 friends that were in the KKK mm-hmm. and you converted one of them. That's huge. That's salvation. And so the Tao surfer is the savior of the world. Man, sometimes it's just that one that will get the other ones to start also, you know, rethinking yeah. things. The one sage does not save all people, but the one sage can save a couple people. By turning them on to a better way, a better logic, a better understanding of the, where, of the world, and then those people can then spread that love. Exactly. And then you've got the exponential uh, victory. Let's finally turn to a very long chapter, but one that is just so fundamental to what we're up to here. And we'll, we'll kind of maybe talk it through stanza by stanza. And why don't you read this one? Let me read this one, because it's, it's the one that made me so excited about about the Tao Te Ching in general. Mm -hmm. Great virtue doesn't virtue signal. So it is true virtue. Cheap virtue merely virtue signals. So it's no virtue after all. Now this is important because I used to do this podcast with Dan Vivoris called Virtue in the Wasteland and people said, oh, virtue signaling in the wasteland, you know, look Mm. at these guys. And the thing that's interesting about it is Virtue signaling is where you're, you're trying to show that you're woke so that you can get people to like you. Mm-hmm. And that's not virtue at all. That's the whole point. The whole point is internalizing these values, whether or not people agree with you or disagree with you, they praise you or they blame you. Doing what is good, true, and beautiful is its own reward. Anybody who's trained to do it for reward right. cannot possibly be virtuous. Great virtue, this is how it continues, great virtue is spontaneous, so it is non-transactional. I am not doing something to get something. Right. I'm kind because that's what I've cultivated. What I do, this is what I want to do, this is who I am. Cheap virtue is contrived and is transactional. 
Great charity is contrived, yet isn't transactional. Self-righteousness is both contrived and also transactional. Propriety is contrived, and when it doesn't get its way, it flexes its muscles and resorts to coercion. So let's let's pause here for a second and, and kind of understand what's going on. This word propriety is uh, the word li, and it's important to Confucian philosophy, which focuses on the protocols of society. So if I if I follow these proper manners, these these rules for manners, then then we're good, right? Mm-hmm. We're good. <laughs> Yet what it's saying is it's contrived. When I'm acting in a way that's showing good manners, it's not my true self. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so when I don't get my way with good manners, then I turn into an ugly human being. That's mm-hmm. usually how it goes because mm-hmm. they're like, hey, I tried. I tried the manners and now I'm going to be a jerk about it. Right. But so I, what we're seeing here and when it starts with great charity, it, we start to see this breakdown. Right. Mm-hmm. Starting to happen. Yeah. Because so great charity. Once again, we, we mentioned about charity. It says is contrived. Yeah. Isn't transactional. So even here what they're saying is. It's not necessarily even, you're not ex- expecting something in return sometimes when you're giving something. Maybe even the people are incapable of ever really giving you anything back. Right? I don't want to use um, you know, the, the, anyone in particular because I don't know anyone's heart. But there are wealthy people that do things that are great because it makes them feel great or because it just is great. Right. You know, that happens... So it's perfectly possible for someone to do some great act of charity. That's non-transactional. It's non-transactional. It's still not the pure, it's still not pure duh. It's not pure like, you know, flowing from the Tao. But there is a type of, of charity that is, is, is good charity. It's mm-hmm. spontaneous. You're doing it because of what's in your heart. It's not like you're trying to get something out of somebody. But self-righteousness is both contrived and transactional. Right. So that's where... You are doing something because it looks like the right thing, and so it's all—it's all about how it's being, you know, perceived or looked at, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's—it's not anything coming from just the the goodness that you want to do an action with, right? And I'll say maybe maybe our goodness is weak. What about the love, though? Right, like so, like the well, that, yeah, yeah right. goodness is good love, yeah, yeah, goodness is weak, but yeah, if it's not born out of love, right? I mean, I guess I'll, I'll, the only reason I want to say that is that sometimes we don't feel like being, you know, kind, but we go and do something that we think is good and right, right? And I think that's okay. I think sometimes that's that's important, but at some other deeper level of who we are, we're saying we we're committed to this. We sometimes have you know cooked food for people that we just we weren't in the greatest mood when we did it, right? But we committed to it and we believe that it was the right thing to do right well and yeah i mean there's there's obviously as a parent there's all sorts of things that you end up doing because you know it's what is right to do at the time but you're you're not feeling it but it's not self-righteousness it's right you know it's we're not not saying that you always have to love what you're doing but you or 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 find it easy. Sometimes you do things that are hard that you don't want to do. And sometimes you're doing things that you don't want to do. But not at the level of the deep wanting. In other <laughs> words, right? Like, I don't want to change my kid's diaper at one in the morning, but I'm glad that I did and I feel satisfied at the end of right. the child rearing. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it's like, good. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like, that. I'm, I'm happy about that. Right? That's di- that, but it is from inside of me mm-hmm. that I love my child. Now, this is where it gets really good. Still in chapter 38. 
So when we lose the Tao, we lose true virtue. When we lose true virtue, we turn to acts of charity. When we lose charity, we turn to self-righteousness. When we don't even care about righteousness anymore, we are left with propriety. When all we have left is propriety, we have a cheap imitation of faithfulness and sincerity. It's a sure sign that society is breaking down. This is the passage that blew my mind because I realized that this is what was going on with sexuality within the Christian church. Mm. We stopped caring about romance and true love. And so we just said, make sure you're a virgin when you get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I say we, I don't mean me. I mean like the the, the leaders right, that we had. Right, you know, right. The message that you're supposed yeah, to share. People were still judging their spouse on whether or not they were attractive enough or made enough money. But God said they couldn't get divorced. Okay. So I'm good person. I'm not going to get divorced. Uh, but where's the real love? Where's that deep romance? It's gone. Right. Just like it's gone for the secularist, you know, uh, that does not believe in romance anymore. It's a cheap imitation of these things and it's a sign that society is breaking down when we don't have people really loving each other but it's just this this talking point or a t-shirt or a tweet or something it's just external that's when we know that there's something at the very core of who we are that's 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 breaking apart Mm -hmm. now the way this looks and i don't i won't go into it too deeply because i I spend maybe half a chapter on it uh in a couple places but let me just Walk us through real quickly with this, uh, this section. When we lose the Tao, we lose true virtue. That is, um, when we lose the Tao, this is the, the way of things. This mm-hmm. is, you could say it's God, it's the Logos, it's ultimate reality. When we lose that, when we lose touch with, if you're a Christian, the gospel, mm-hmm. then we are slowly going to lose virtue. Right, because your real goodness, whatever comes out of love, right? It slowly breaks down. Yeah. You might still do it for a while out of habit. You might Mm -hmm. do things that are good out of habit. But eventually, if you lose your connection to God, if you lose a healthy mysticism, then ethics breaks down. I mean, this is the big thing that I've learned in the history of ethics, that ethics is tied to mysticism. If I see that you're connected to me, I can treat you better. And it's not a matter of willpower. If the religious group I'm a part of sees me as inherently valuable, as having intrinsic worth, Mm -hmm. then they're going to treat me in a way that's different from the cult who just thinks that I'm a dollar sign. Right. And everything flows from that. Or that, uh, you know, an obedient servant that's going to do the bidding of another. Right. So if we lose God, if we say Tao is God or the gospel or the logos or this operating principle of, of the presence of infinite love, when we lose that, we lose virtue eventually. And when we lose true virtue, then what we do is we make ourselves look good with these acts of charity. Mm -hmm. Then it says when we lose charity, we turn to self-righteousness. Well, I don't do charitable acts, but at least I'm not a murderer. I'm not a rapist. I haven't done anything bad. I'm going to keep my stuff, you know. But when we don't even care about righteousness anymore, we're just left with propriety. In other words... Manners. Manners. Like, you're not allowed to go, you know, into the lane without first signaling. And now I get to be mad at you but I'm just looking for an excuse to be mad at you, right? right. When, when all we're left is, is with manners and we have a cheap imitation of faithfulness and sincerity. That's what it says. It's a cheap imitation of faithfulness well, and sincerity. Well, that's what, I mean, even we were talking about before, you know, what do you do for an anniversary or what do you do during Valentine's Day, right? When, you're, when you are just sort of following that you get roses and chocolates or something and you don't really even care about mm-hmm. 
these and gifting to the person or even what your love means to the person that you're giving it to, that is just a cheap imitation of faithfulness and sincerity. Right. (laughs) You know, like the most, probably the most disappointing thing you could do for me on Valentine's Day would be to bring me the heart-shaped box of chocolate. Now, there's some people that love this stuff, so no, I'm not You don't saying, like chocolate. That's the one thing that the listener needs I don't, to know. Yeah, yeah, I don't like chocolate. But mm-hmm. the heart-shaped box of cho- chocolate, and I love flowers, but if it's like you're checking off a to-do list and a, and a checklist, mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, I realize I am now um, you know, relegated into That'd the category <laughs> of taking care of my duties, my job, you know, that there's a lack of sincerity there. And it's an imitation of your faithfulness to me if I see that. Now, I'm not saying that's what it is for everybody. Can you say that again? It's an invitation of your faithfulness to me. Can you say like a sentence that like, I think you're saying it's a... I said it's an imitation. Okay, can you say it again? Yeah, so if, if you showed up with those things, that would be an imitation of your faithfulness and sincerity with our relationship, I would actually kind of say, hmm, what's off with our relationship right right now? Because now the heartfelt card that, you know, has this cute little tree and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like I see that I have done some decent, you put thought into it that it's not just checking off the boxes to February, the to do list of what uh, you're supposed to do now, Mm -hmm. even, to be honest, like if the only time you ever, you know, you're you're so sweet that you often like will, you know, think of things and, and if I have a need or whatever, you'll, you know, present that with, you know, to me or whatever, or even just like, you know, for fun, you'll think of me. Um, what you're saying is you want custom roller skates. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but what I am saying, <laughs> Jeff really wants roller skates right now, and he really wants me to have roller skates as well. So anyway. We're... So we can do roller skates together so that when I get beat up for being the only guy with roller skates that uh, I'll say I was just doing it for my lady. I'm just kidding. I just think roller skates seems like the most Dow thing in the world. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> they'll, they'll be in our future, but anyway. Uh, we'll talk anyway, about them we'll in the future for anyway, sure. We're going we're gonna to budget it in. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So my point is, is that if the only time you ever do think of me, honestly, is Valentine's Day, there's in our anniversary, there are probably issues in our relationship as well. The 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 forced made holidays. Right. Now it's a great time. Hey, if you're if you needed to remember, right? It's a great time to be reminded yep. that yep. yes, we should you know look out for one another and and care about the relationship. So I'm not saying that. That there isn't a, a you know a ritual of, that could be valuable about any of this, but when we make it uh, that we go into automatic pilot on these things, then that's where yeah. it, it's breaking down for what really would be valuable about the memory of this you know relationship or what this you know what it means you know for us to you know have another anniversary or whatever to be together this long. Yeah, and it moves into that celebrations, you know, that, rituals, liturgies, mm-hmm. lectionaries. They're all great, but they you still have to keep the heart there. Yeah. Now, the thing is, though, what we've gotten to in society is this place where society is breaking down, where all we're worried about is is just calling people out for their, their failures of the protocol. Mm. We know that we're already filled with animosity and there's enemies all around and, and there's division all around. But let me just, let me make it more controversial than maybe you think it needs to be. And I want to talk about Colin Kaepernick. Colin, Colin Kaepernick is somebody who says, you know what, there's too much going on with, with respect to police violence. 
and I don't feel like the Constitution is protecting me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a knee. And if I recall correctly, he ran this by at least a few friends of his that had been in the military saying, you know, I'm going to take a knee. I'm not going to put my middle finger up. I'm not going to fart. I'm not going to B.A., you know, right. the, the, the flag. But I'm going to take a knee because I don't believe that this is this is so it's a peaceful, to me. It's a peaceful act of protest. It's protest, right. Now, maybe he's wrong. Maybe the society in which he's living is wrong. But to the perspective of chapter 38, it is a sure sign that society is breaking down. So you can feel really good about yourself by saying, I know I stand for the flag and kneel when I pray to Jesus. That's fine. It's just that there's one of your brothers in this country, if you're an American, that's saying, I'm trying some way to get your attention mm-hmm. about something that is really problematic in my world. Right. There are people that we know that are afraid to drive without experiencing you know, the possibility of be- becoming a-, a-, a casualty of a, of, a, uh, of, a, of a police officer pulling them over and misunderstanding what's going on. Right. We know these people, and their stories are frequent. They've been frequent for some time. They have now children. Some of our friends that have children, and they're afraid to let their children drive because they're, they're people of color. Mm-hmm. And in certain places where they would assume, you know, hey, the kids are going to go have fun, go, go, go on a little drive like when we were kids. We would just drive around. Nobody, nobody was worried about where we were, you know, mm-hmm. just doing our thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that they're not I, – I, we don't have all the answers on what's going on with why this is. Mm-hmm. But we do need to notice when people are saying, um, I'm going to speak out or act in such a way that you notice and maybe you get a little annoyed. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So if it's annoying you that somebody is kneeling for the national anthem, that's probably because they were trying to annoy you during the national anthem to make a point. Mm. Right? Now, what do people want to do to fix this problem? Get the NFL players to stand. <laughs> so then everything's fine, so right? So they don't have to see it. I'm not asking you whether or not they should have protested that way. And I'm not asking you to kneel. Although, although I do think it would be pretty cool if one for one month... All fundamentalist and evangelical and conservative Christian pastors got together and kneeled just for one month during the Apostles' Creed as a sign of solidarity with people who are oppressed in American society. I think that'd be, that'd be great. Like, you know, we're going to kneel for, the, for, for something in church as, a, as an act of remembering to care about the oppressed, to care about police violence to care about the lack of justice and rights for some people in our society. And to do that from the perspective of the conservative Christian world would be transformative. That would heal. We could heal the world right now. If the pastors, if the evangelical pastors would get together and say, however you vote, whatever you think about all these myriad issues, if we could just get behind this idea that no one should be afraid for their life as they're just going about their life. Mm -hmm. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is what America is about. So until people feel that way, that they can experience that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, I'll kneel for the Lord's Prayer or something silly, right? Like, well, I guess the Lord's Prayer. I guess that's fine. You know. But the point being, some kind of act of solidarity would be perfectly acceptable. But making, and this is the key, making people stand for the national anthem as if that's going to regain 
the integrity of our civilization, of our country, of right. our society is way off key, way off base. It's right. wrong, right? So, so it's it's you're missing the point. It's the I'm going to cover my ears and close my eyes. Yeah. I can't hear you. I can't see you. So there's no problem. Colin Kaepernick might be your Marxist enemy, and you have to uh, imprison him and prosecute him for crimes against uh, you know the great society that we've built as a, as a nation in the United States. Uh, I don't think that's the case, but if that's the case, then fine. Let's 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 have that conversation. Mm-hmm. But the conversation can't be, "Hey there, dude, don't disrespect symbolic patriotism." That's where I don't have a lot of um, um, a lot of agreement, <laughs> right. right? Like. He's either right or wrong about what he sees in society. But if you're going to nonviolently protest, that's a good way to do it. And I and I honestly think that that again is another example of how when we um, we can treat people as abstractions. Yeah. You know, it's it's those individual stories when I when I've been there with people and like, for instance, there was a time when um, people that you know we love very much. Um, ended up needing to go to the hospital and he was from another country right Mm -hmm. and couldn't speak english very well so i this is one particular people yes (laughs) so i went to i went to the hospital and was trying to kind of understand you know the conversation from the english side of things of what's happening here by the way this is a man of of means this is not a person who's poor no but he didn't have american insurance and the only reason that he's there is because uh, a drunk driver, they were lucky that, that he wasn't killed in this accident. I like how you uh, made it, you softened it. It was a, a super wealthy daughter of a super wealthy person who was coked out of her mind and just blasted into the back of this beautiful, beautiful uh, father and daughter and really changed their their lives for the worst. And And so here you have the empowered, wealthy, American citizen and the non-citizen who is the stranger and our version of hospitality is literally, Stacey, as you're talking to this family, they're pushing them out of the hospital in pain and with a spinal injury. And he's not ready. He's not ready to walk, really. He's not ready to, to go out. But there's no guarantee of payment because there's no insurance in the same way that they would yeah. like to see to keep them there. And, and gratitude to uh, the congregation we were a part of at the time for stepping up. You know, one of our one of our beloved pastors stepped up and helped to make sure that they got some some funds yeah. in that time well, of crisis. And rehabilitation was definitely needed to relearn how to walk and everything else. But the rehabilitation center also wouldn't accept him without fifteen thousand dollars up front. Here's the deal: if you're an American. If, or whatever you are, but if you're an American, patriotism is better when patriotism is connected to the ideals and the and the virtues embedded in the best of America. What well, it's not, right. it's not and wearing so here, the flag. It's not having the right bumper sticker. It's not, you know. So here he here he is looking at our nation. He loves. America. Loves America. He, he, want, he, he wanted to, you know, like, he's like this is great. This is beautiful. This is, this is a whole different world. Comes here as a visitor, gets hurt by one of our people, and gets treated as if... Like dirt. Like nothing. And it doesn't matter whether yeah. or not you can walk. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you're in pain or not, but you're leaving. You Two know, weeks before this, here. we're calling each other brother and sister. 
his yeah. family and my family. Mm-hmm. He's from another country, and we have this connection for whatever reason. And, and now he sees my country as hating him. Yes. And we do, structurally. We have no, we have no protection for him. He, what, what, about the, what about the person who didn't come with their own means? He's got his own factory And one, and one of the overseas. things he said is, my country would have made sure that you are whole, or as whole yeah. as you can be, or even given financial restitution and as such. No financial restitution, no reimbursement from, by the way, again, I want to say, rich Newport Beach, coked out gal. I'm just telling you, I can tell mm-hmm. from the profile, she's got more money to spend on rent than I have to spend on books for, for my youngest. Oh, she, went, you know. she went traveling before uh, the possibility of her having to stay in the country. She, did, she went and did it again. Yeah. Had a Meanwhile, second. the guy who got hit is unable to get back to his business yeah. overseas, which is starting to suffer. And so now, not only can he not pay, pay his bills, he can't get back to manage his company. His whole handle, family he can't de- handle depends the plane. on it. He can't handle the plane ride because he can't sit that long. So when I say that's crap, I'm not trying to be unpatriotic. I'm being patriotic. I'm saying, who are we? We can be better than this. Let's make America great again. Yeah. And if it never was great, let's make America great. Full stop. Right. You know, let's just, whatever political aisle, side of the political aisle you're on, can we at least agree that virtue, that goodness, truth, and beauty, that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that the rule of law, that decency, that, that, that kindness, that opportunity, that that's what we care about. That's an instead America of, worth fighting yeah, for. Instead of just the symbols. Instead right. of, and because this is what this chapter is saying. The mere show of it. It's the just mere show symbols. Oh, yeah. good for you. You're patriotic. You got red, white, and blue face paint on. But do you care about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Do you care about religious freedom? Do you care about um, the checks and balances in our government? Do you care about democracy and our republic? Those are the things that you should care about if you care about this thing at all. And I'm not going to apologize one bit if somebody says, Oh, you know, um, you should be less tolerant of people um, being activist and criticizing America. Or more importantly, more recently, right, when people say, why are you criticizing, you know, Lutherans for... It's not, it's not unfaithful to Lutheranism to criticize Lutherans for being racist. Right. The, it's, the, the, it's, mo- it's more... It's more faithful. faithful. Yeah, because you care about it, because you believe yes. we can be better. And friends, we can be better. And friends, if you are part of a cult that's trying to get you reined in just through rules instead of a transformed life, if you're part of an ideology that doesn't care about its internalized values or your values or your value, your intrinsic value, if you get the sense that your political party or your family or your religion doesn't care about you, full stop, not what you can do for them, not what legwork you can do for them, not the number that you represent as part of their... Agenda. Ag- the agenda, the, 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 the tally of how many people they got to sit in a seat for Sunday while they did, you know, some song and a, and a lecture, <laughs> called it a sermon, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. That's not if if you're in a spot where people think of you as 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 what you represent in terms of a dollar sign, or uh, or the legwork for their cult or organization, then just just stand up, walk backwards out the door. Don't run. Maybe they're you know 
maybe they're like bears and uh, and uh, uh, mountain lions. You don't <laughs> want to run because then they know that you're running. <laughs> so you just slowly walk back out from your colt and uh, then wipe the dust off your feet, friend. Shake the dust off. Say Ichabod and find that true community of people that recognize your intrinsic value and you can support their intrinsic value as well. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's the value of everybody in that community. One last thing about this chapter on chapter 38 is uh, re- related to divination. Mm. And I don't know where, our, where else <laughs> we'll ever say it, so we wanted to make sure we mentioned it here. A lot of the times, a lot of the times... Let's read this, yeah. though, before we go okay. into all the explanations. Would you read it, Stacey, the very last uh, sentence of the yeah, chapter Yeah, so the last part says, Divination is a mere parlor trick with the Tao and leads to superstition. <laughs> the parlor trick of the Tao is, in the original, is a flower of the Tao. And it reminds me of something that, Stacy we experienced when we went to a, a cave mm-hmm. in Foshan, China, which was a great cave. You got to check it out. It's wonderful. We Are got you to talking swim. about Yangshua? No, was it Yangshua? Yeah, there was a, a cave there that yeah, we that's went what it was. to, and we that's went to the mud bath as well. Yes, it was Yangshua. Yeah, and we went there right, and then and we got to be in that beautiful. We got all muddy, mm-hmm. and we got to see all the beautiful, you know, cave stalactites. Right, but there was definitely a commercialization that was happening with neon lights and lighting yeah. up certain of you know the cave's natural features are great <laughs> but it it felt like disneyland was brought to this cave disneyland's and- a little bit of a uh, <laughs> yeah, of a, a kindness yeah it's more like you know when you go to neon neon bowling at the at the local bowling alley at midnight you know and they put on the you right. know but but you know you, you know, know when you're it's in kitschy Yes, there's a kitschiness to when you know when you are something that it just is authentic there versus hand railings and, you know, concrete pathways that start to all kind of like light the way with these lights in strategic places that are, you know, showing off, you know, obviously what the cave's natural wonders are. It's all psychedelic and neon (laughs) and you're like, oh man, you know, just being in the cave with with that dim lighting is going to blow your mind. Especially when it's hot outside and you just go down there and the, the temperature is that constant. What is the, what is the temperature? It's like 60, 70, something like that. Stacy's tapping into something that is very Dow. And that is if you live in a really hot, hot place, like if you live in Tennessee or Kentucky or Georgia and you haven't learned how to do a little spelunking, then what is wrong with you? (laughs) That is how you get yourself some free air conditioning and you can go into the belly of mother earth. It's so wonderful. But we went into the belly of mother earth and Stacy's correct. Yangshuo, China. And at the end of the tour, what was worse of, of all of that is at the end of the tour, <laughs> they tried to sell me some Cobra wine uh, f- for my libido. So they mm-hmm. said, you know, like Cobra wine is going to, it's like an aphrodisiac. I wasn't really paying attention to what they were saying. And, uh, and as I need to reiterate over and over on this show, um, we are working with the original Chinese, but our pronunciation and our understanding of, of Mandarin, <laughs> modern Mandarin, is horrific. So uh, right. it's best not to try us. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I was trying to make sense of what the gentleman was saying. And uh, <laughs> he was, I think he was saying this was good for my health. Or that's what I thought he was saying. He was saying it was good for my, um, my libido, mm. right? It was an aphrodisiac. Because apparently if you put an endangered cobra into a vat of, of liquor then it will, uh, it will help in that regard. 
what it actually did was made my lips feel tingly <laughs> because even though it denatures much of the venom, it, felt, <laughs> still some it was a bad hangover. Right? I'd never get a hangover. It was a bad hangover. But next to the jar where I got some Cobra wine was these LED lit up lotuses, these Buddha lotuses. And I realized just as Christians sell the little what would Jesus do bracelet or, you know, um, the evangelicals had, you know, the testaments. There were these mints <laughs> that had like little Bible verses. I don't know. As much as you can get kitsch in Christianity, you can get kitsch in any religion. Yeah. You can get kitsch in the religion of detachment <laughs> from these things in Buddhism. And people are selling you these what's? These flowers of the Tao. Mm. The external flashy stuff of religion is sometimes the most dangerous thing you're going to run into because it gets you really close mm. to the deep kick. It gets you really close to the reality of the spirituality, mm-hmm. but it lets you sink your teeth into something that was just the bait and not the substance. Right. We see that a lot in uh, New Orleans too. When oh, we go more. into some of these about voodoo shops. Yeah. But they, they have the, the various like, so do you want, you know, prosperity? Do you want okay, fer- yeah, uh, yeah. fertility? You uh-huh. know, um, you got to give some kind of token of something important to you. Right. To this being that will then help you. And Orisha. With, you know, with that particular uh, <laughs> ailment, for a lack of a better word. But if you mm. want, like I said... Um, Riches, money, sex, romance. Romance, whatever. Yeah. So, like, if you want to, you know, you want a partner or whatever, then you can go ahead and, um, you know, buy some of these objects and support, you know, there's a little shrine sometimes or whatever. You can put some money, mm. you know, into, you know, towards that, that shrine and somehow... Maybe uh, that will, you know, come back around. Like that, that's definitely superstition, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and sometimes some of these places, they do it with just enough guilt that if you don't put that, you know, that money there, you know, when the, the you know, <laughs> whatever, the, you know, by the Buddha or whatever, that somehow you are going to... You get a uh, bad mojo. Yeah, reap this bad, bad luck. luck, you yeah. know? Yeah, right. Like, it's the same... I know what you're talking about. It's like the um, the chain email. Like, pass this on mm-hmm. to, like, support, oh, yes. to support this cause, like breast cancer. But if you don't, you're going to have curses. Right, right. And they, they even say that... Um, and again, this is, a, you know, we talk on this show about manipulation, right? So if, if you put just a simple... Even a little stick figure happy face on a tip jar. Right. People are more likely to give in tips, whether, you know, it's electronically or in the jar itself, uh, because so much of it is what we do through the credit card. Mm -hmm. But you personalize it. So you put a little face to it. And, you know, if it just says tips, you know, or (laughs) that kind of thing or whatever. But if you have to stare at a face and then you don't do something about it, you feel a little guilty. And so... The more real that people can sometimes make this guilt feel for you right. um, to get a few extra dollars out of you, they will. I mean, I I think of even sort of even the electronicness with with tips and payments nowadays. When the server like hands you over this thing and there's these tipping options, uh, you know. I'm always, I'm kind of fascinated to see, you know, sometimes how people respond. I've noticed that, you know, especially pre-COVID, if it was like concerts and stuff like that, males typically would just push the highest button that was offered 
that I happen to notice. This is just my small huh. little, yeah. you know, research that I've done with my own eyes. On scientific samples. <laughs> scientific. Yeah. So I'd be curious to Dude, see. So you're saying dudes put the big tip? Yes. Okay. Especially if it was a, a good looking uh, woman serving yeah. it. But it could even be a male. Like, honestly, I think it was just look, look at me. I have money. And I can, I can, I can tip, and yes, I have yes. power for this. Yes. You know, there was a. They want to shame you into thinking, "Well, do you don't have enough money to be able to tip?" Yeah, that's good. Right. So there's, the, well, no, I'm not saying that that's that may not be what they're trying. Well, it's to a do, function of it. But I think it is a function yeah. of it that cause that drives the the behavior. It's interesting. You know, it's interesting though that what this chapter is saying is that quote generosity of the wealthy dude is exactly not generosity. It's a sign that they can't afford. Right, the, the, the highest, tip. yeah, right, the highest tip. You're right? using or, their, you're using their ego against them, but it doesn't matter. This is the, this is like the defense against the dark arts. It's just figure out. what's And maybe going on. some people simply are just from the kindness of the heart. They do that all the time. And why not? And do it. But one of the things that's really important about this last, this last line is about divination, and we just need to make sure we mention yes, this one thing. And that, we and that is a lot of times in the, <clears throat> in the I Ching, um, and in in acupuncture and in Tai Chi and so forth. This this whole idea of Taoism becomes kind of this good luck charm or superstition. It's so thin, and it's kind of detached from the core philosophy of Taoism. And would you just read it one more time? Because it's one line. Divination is a mere parlor trick with the Tao and leads to superstition. So can I give you yeah. an example? Yes, please. If you took... There's only 81 chapters in the Tao Te Ching. If, yes. if I had a question... And I just blindly opened up the Tao Te Ching. To any old space. To any old space. There's going to be a way that I can read this. Now, it, there might be, um, you know, it might be the exact message I need to hear. Right. If I am open and willing to hear it, I often probably would. If I'm closed-minded, I'll probably even, you know, hear something that I want to hear, period. Um, that's why you mentioned the the parlor trick. Like what? Yeah. When, you know, if <laughs> so, if for some reason this chapter of the Tao Te Ching is now talking about, um, you know, family obligation, going, you know, mm-hmm. propriety and all this or whatever, you know, maybe I would say, oh well, I don't need to, uh, you know, go to my sister's birthday party or something, right? Right. Which, you know, I'm not saying I would do that, but I'm saying if, if, if I said, so I don't need to go to my, but maybe I'm not even willing to look at all of the obligations that I put our children through, you know, um, right, right. And, and, and you know what I'm saying? So when you kind of can in any situation almost hear what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. There are times if you're open enough that maybe you'll hear what you need to hear, <laughs> um, but keeping an open mind is important. But things can kind of tell you what you want them to say. Yeah, sometimes. But also sometimes that it is helpful in that the, the this idea of divination is kind of like um, it's like a magic eight ball or a tarot card or something. You're trying to resolve something in your life. So one thing, if I can use an example, like even the the Tao Te Ching, there's 81 chapters, and it's possible that you can. Open up, you know, if you have your, you know, your written copy or whatever, and you open it up to any chapter, there is going to be wisdom in this chapter that I could basically, sometimes I'm able to uh, 
see what I want to see out of it, right? So there's, and you, you could say that that might be the message that you need to hear, and it might be, you know, especially if you do truly have an open mind. But there's also a way in which I think that we often, when it comes to um, certain more like wisdom literature or texts or whatever, that we can also read into it, um, you know, even more so. So we can do this with the Bible sometimes too, right? Opening up, you know, the Bible and hearing a verse. And yes. It's called bibliomancy. <laughs> so there might be there might be a message in there that you really do need to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, a certain level of even almost more superstition that we can kind of to that, like, and and even apply more meaning than what something deserves. <laughs> you know, I see. I tend to do that. <laughs> I often see too, like even just because my parents do live close to casinos and stuff, and so you could tell somebody that is, you know, a, a gambler that they then have you know, their rabbit's foot, and you know they start to get this little collection of all of these things of maybe that they were holding on to or was near them when they when they had good luck, and so they think that this is the recipe now for their good fortune, and so that's where it turns into superstition that somehow we are um you know affecting the way that the universe is rolling or is going to roll for us by all of these, you know, good luck charms or these, you know, these good things. So if we, if we wear the Tao as our good luck charm, and again, it's all adding to that virtue. It's like, it's like, again, that virtue signaling. If we don't understand what the Tao is actually trying to teach us or even the Bible, what it's teaching us. And instead we just, where verses or pieces of these chapters. Yeah, it can't just be a good luck charm. Then it, yeah, then it's like, it, it turns it into something that isn't real. And it's the exact opposite. It's again, against the very thing. But again, the reason it works sometimes is that it's tapping into something real. Mm-hmm. So the I Ching deals with yin and yang. And if most of the time you're trying to resolve your problem with a yang answer, and you get something that asks you to consider the yin, it will seem like it's magic. Mm-hmm. It will seem like it was just insightful. And all it's doing is asking you to see the yin side of this, this topic. Reflect on the yin side of the topic. It'll help you be, be successful. So um, the, the thing that we found over and over again is that one of the most dangerous things about religion or philosophy is that it sometimes works. And that when it works, it can be more dangerous. Mm-hmm. So if the Holy Spirit is powerful, or if, if um, understanding the balance between yin and yang is powerful, if yoga is powerful, if prayer is powerful, um, in the sense of that contemplative silence, if it's meaningful and moving, then people can use it sometimes against us to say, ah, you want more of this? Well, I own this. I own yoga. I own prayer. I own the Tao. <laughs> right? right? And so... Come the, train underneath yeah. me and learn and learn the yeah. ways. And, and it's just fascinating that so many times that these really interesting philosophies from ancient China become parlor tricks. They become mm. like fortune cookies, like they, a recipe that yeah. you follow. Yeah, and like it's it's somebody wants to buy it. Somebody wants to buy this wisdom and use it to sell a cookie or a meal mm. or an experience or a, a a moment where you're going to have your fortune told. Mm-hmm. And again. 
there are some times when that can be helpful. You know, sometimes I guess if you can't decide something, pick up a, a magic eight ball, flip a coin. Sometimes that'll help you to understand what you need to be thinking about and how you need to decide things. And, and, and it can work. But just because something works doesn't mean you have to give all of your autonomy and your loyalty to the person who is working that magic. That's the key thing here that as we, as we close, we want to make sure that you're really clear on. And that is that the, the Tao, if you understand the Tao, it works to understand the Tao. It will make your life easier. If somebody else that you know in your life understands the Tao, they can, they can do things that will seem magical. That does not mean that you need to hand over all of your autonomy, your, um, your life, and your decisions to them. Mm-hmm. Because that's just, that's just somebody you know, figuring out something that's scientific or psychological or religious and then, and then just using it to, to gain an upper hand on you. That's, that's, right. what, that's what the game is always right. going to be. That's what always uh, you find with con artists and so forth. And so, but because that it's powerful, it's easier to use for the con artist. Mm. So don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Just because spirituality can be used by con artists doesn't mean that you should starve yourself of good spiritual edification. Right. What you're saying is really powerful there that there is a spiritual need that we all have and that sometimes it there can be little fixes that we find along the way when we hit on something that does you know ring true to us uh what what's hard is when we start trying to you know bottle that up or turn it into some sort of you know prescription if you will or a recipe for you know, success or, you know, happiness in, in general. But being able to wrestle with these true ideas to realize when other people are using this, those kinds of things for their own empowerment um, and taking away your power is, is a huge piece of all of this because they are, it is, there are powerful things to it. There is, there is something where we need to wrestle with you know, what are our spiritual needs? Um, you know, there's some of us, you know, will may, maybe feel like they have more than others. And, and maybe sometimes spirituality has been way too much in your life that maybe you need a little less of it and more just really enjoying life. But until we really can wrestle with uh, what our spiritual needs are and, and you know, how how does this come into play when we do live our lives? And as I look at these chapters, these all these chapters are talking about ways in which, you know, what does it mean for real virtue to exist, right? We have we have real needs, we have real spiritual needs. And I think I think everybody sort of recognizes when they see that, you know, the the true virtue, that real virtue that exists. We all want that. And because it actually seems to be so rare, uh we 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 put up with uh the 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 false the imitations of it. And I think one thing is is when when we're real with ourselves, but what is it that we're looking for? What are our needs? What, do, what kind of relationships do we want? What sort of religious groups do we want to be a part of? 
recognize what those needs are um, and don't get manipulated by the false imitations of those things. And instead, you know, keep searching out what really is, what is that true virtue? What is that true love? What is that true goodness? Uh, that not, you know, not the, the, the pretend falsities. Because when we are in an environment that actually is giving us that unconditional love, the one the, where we mutually partake in this unconditional love of one another, there is just this deep piece upon piece that really is there in that community. And that's what I want for all of, all of us, all of us to just be able to be in this space, just wrapped up in unconditional love. So when you find true virtue, when you find that place of just unconditional love, it's in those areas that we often, like, we, we don't want to let that go. It's so beautiful. But that is, that really is where we can really rest in deep peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.